right in front of him. Crowd are looking, throws it alley. Oh! Hey there, welcome to the Just Basketball Show. I'm Chris Manning. That man over there is the one and only Brendan Clean. Thanks again to Jake Stevens and Dylan Heiser for their production. Another jam-packed show as we are in the throes of the NBA playing tournament. The WNBA draft happened this week, and we've got playoff previews for you today. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Five stars only. And remember to subscribe, hit the notification bell over on YouTube. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, all those great social platforms as well. Brennan, let's start with the playing reactions because there was... I, I So the Lakers beat the, the Wolves in kind of like a, a wild game. Uh, Anthony Edwards did not play well in that game, but a lot of other players did. No, most notably Cat, no Gobert, obviously. Atlanta beats Miami, so they get Boston. Chicago beats Toronto, and most of the, the talk about that game has really seemed to center on... Um, DeMar DeRozan's daughter and the amount of free throws that the Raptors missed, <laughs> which, okay. And then the Oklahoma City Thunder really carried by Shegage Alexander, but with, an, with a really good Josh Giddy performance, beat the Pelicans 123-118. Um, this sets up a spot where we'll, we'll kind of see who gets out of this like, kind of next round here and, and kind of what is who ultimately gets these eight seeds. I mean, I don't think either of these teams are really going to make a big push, but you know, you do, we do get some intrigue at least there, but uh, is there a game you want to start with Brennan? Yeah, let's start with Pelicans thunder. I think that was the best game in my opinion. And also the one that I think kind of had the the most stories coming out of it just with, I think this is what the plan is going to be. You know, I think the plan is going to be an opportunity where we're going to come off of it every year with at least one, upstart team. I'm not saying there's always going to be a, a 10 or a nine that, that upsets a seven or an eight and, and gets in. I just mean, it's this opportunity with the pressure cooker environment of a one game, two game winner, go home type of situation to let one of these guys elevate. And I think last year it kind of was the Pelicans this year. They obviously lose to the team that is, is that this year, which is the thunder. And I mean, Shea is just, Unbelievable. I mean, I don't want to take anything away. You mentioned Josh Giddy. I thought a lot of players made plays for them in this game. I thought uh, both Jalen Williams were pretty solid, especially just filling roles and, and being confident, frankly, in a game like that, being so young. But the two shots that Shea made at the very end of this game, one of them was off of that steal, the like f- kind of leaning base bank shot with his right hand in transition, and then the fallaway jumper on that left baseline to take the lead and kind of cement the win. It's just pure SGA. And I don't feel like anyone on the thunder is capable of that to create a shot like that or to make a shot like that. And it's just crazy that we are now 83 games into the season and he continues to lift that team's offense onto his shoulders and spots like that over and over. And they win. Um, This is a young team that to me, like the thunder just had have no business being this good already. And they are, <laughs> and they're, they're, they're one win away from being in the playoffs and getting to go against Denver and, and have probably a pretty fun series there too. This, this team, Brennan, if I had to draft today, like a future team, that's just going to ascend and like, I could buy future stock in and like invest in for like my retirement portfolio. It would be the thunder. Like there, there's, 
there's no team I think that is set up to just be awesome for the foreseeable future with some of the talent they have. I mean, and it started with Shea. He, he, like Herb. They put Herb Jones on him for much of this game, and Herb Jones. You know, I don't think he's like quite been like a not on Herb, not on Herb like level of like guy this year. It hasn't quite felt exactly like that to me and like some of that's just because i think he's not making shots on offense and you just kind of get lessened as like your impact feels lesser when you're just not sticking the shot you may be hit here before but he's still a really good defender and he's like on shea for much of this game and like he's giving him fits at times and shea's just got footwork got the patience got the craft got the size to just be this like all nba monster like he should absolutely just like lock be locked into first team all nba with the, with games like this i know this is technically the playoffs and doesn't count but like this is like confirmation that it's just like god damn this guy can do basically everything this guy can run your offense and and be your lead scorer and you know he's really you know buoyed by josh giddy he's buoyed by lou dort who had a really great game um, did you, by the way, did you, I'm looking at the stats for this game. Can you give me a guess on what you think Josh Giddy's assist percentage was for this game? Well, he had 10, so, so he had 10 I'm going to guess it's pretty high. Cause he also played 42 minutes, 38.4%. That's like yeah. an absurd, like clip of just passing. And he had 31. And he so was like, taking he, like pull up jumpers and, oh yeah. and all this oh yeah. stuff. It, it was not just like lucky points or transition stuff or, you know, finishing off of what others were, were getting for him. He was, this is probably one of the best scoring games Josh Giddy's ever had in his probably, life. I and mean, it happened probably, to come in a play-in game. I mean, maybe the best. I mean, his final stat line is 31 on 11 to 22 shooting. That's the same number of a field goal makes and attempts as Shea. 3-7 from 3, 6-7 from the line, 10 assists, 9 boards, a block, and 2 turnovers. I mean, I didn't like watch Shea his was, Australia tape super closely, so I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say <laughs> ever, but I, am. I mean, I mean, man, just considering was, like the stakes and stuff. Yeah, and look, I, I don't I don't feel too bad about this if I'm New Orleans. Like the Zion thing kinda holds over this a little bit. You know, Ingram was again just fantastic, thirty and, and went to the line eleven times. You know, you maybe would have got to like a little more out of your bench, like nothing you didn't really get a lot of punch from from your bench unit, but I don't really feel particularly like bad about this if I'm New Orleans. I mean McCollum was not good. He really struggled in this game five of fifteen from the field, but this to me is about the thunder and if we're talking about like them versus the wolves on friday i I, the thunder are the much more fun team to advance and play the nuggets yeah it looks like rudy might not play um it would be an okc denver would denver okc would be a complete mismatch of styles and i'm kind of rooting for it just for the fact of the best post-up center in the nba versus a team that does not have a center um would be a very weird and fun series uh, but I think we should actually hit the New Orleans side of this a bit. So you mentioned CJ McCollum. Okay. He actually, right before we hit record, had a comment going around from what I presume is like, you know, exit interviews with the media. He said, we've got to be available. We've got to do what we need to do off the court in terms of preparation, getting treatment, getting the right sleep, the right type of hydration and having the right type of diet. Um, I think we can... Read. There's hardly any lines to read between there. That it's pretty clear what he's talking about. The, you know, uh, number one overall draft pick in the room, so to speak. I didn't want to go elephant because I felt like that was going to be a little, little, a little rude. If you know where I'm coming from there, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. Zion is, Zion is, gonna continue to linger over this team. And what bums me out about it, Chris, is you can wa- you can tell watching this team that they are 
The roster is set up so perfectly for him and you feel his absence so much. This is not just the same thing as, you know, any other player necessarily being gone. Like this is a a team, a roster, you know, outside of the you know MVP candidates we have every, every season that is so catered to him that it just, it's very hard to pivot. You know what I mean? Like this is, if, if you don't have Zion, a point guard like CJ McCollum doesn't quite make as much sense. If you don't have Zion, you probably want a little more shooting out there because the ball's not in one overwhelming ISO scorer's hands all the time. And Ingram's getting blanketed by, you know, half the defense every time that he touches the ball like he did against Oklahoma City because there's not the typical traditional amount of shooting that an NBA team might want because when it's Zion, it doesn't need to be. And so they were incredible to come out of the, the play in last year and push the Suns to six games and all the stuff. They, they really impressed everybody. But if this is going to continue to be a problem, we don't know the details of it, but if it's just going to to linger with this team and it's always going to be a question of if he plays, there's just a clear ceiling on what they're going to be able to do because of how they've built the roster with him in mind. Yeah, and it's like I, I absolutely understand why they build the way they do. Um, those C- and like, look, those CJ comments, I had not seen those. Those carry a ton of weight. When you go to the point of being like sleep and hydration and having the right kind of diet, it's just like, okay, like, is this a young team that is super immature and not caring itself well? And just who does, who else does, is that just about Zion? Is it about other guys? Like, what, who is this? I mean, you, you, we kind of like assume it's about Zion, but it's like, boy. You, I mean, I don't watch that team and feel like anybody who was on the court last night needed to be talked to or, or put in check. So it'd be kind of no, weird Brandon, if he's throwing that at some of the guys who just, played their asses off in that game. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. But yeah. I don't feel like that's about anybody else. I mean, who would what? it be about? Everybody played pretty well last night for them and they fought hard to even get there. It'd be kind of yeah, weird like, for him to throw those guys under the bus now. Yeah, and it's like McCollum has talked about this in the past and I, I think been kind of like, you know, being like, I got to take him under my wing and stuff like that. And look, Ingram is, all this considered, like if I have Brandon Ingram on my team for next year, I feel pretty excited about that if that's like my starting place. Even with all this other weirdness, like I would be very optimistic about myself if like I can be like, okay, at least I have Brandon Ingram who looks like a, a like if he extrapolates the way he played the end of the year over the course of a full season next year, that's like an all NBA caliber forward. He's that good. Yeah, but I think the problem is he can't. I don't think you can count on him to be available either. It feels no, like for both, sure, you know, for every year to get his body into peak physical shape, he has to slow play the regular season. I think we just know that by now because people who are seven feet tall should not probably be doing the things he does on a basketball court. Uh, And it hurts a lot and it makes his body mad at him a lot. And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a a shitty situation for this team to have to kind of deal with all of that stuff that Uh, limits what they're going to be. Is coming up next is Brendan Clean already throwing down on Victor Wembanyama for being a seven footer, seven foot alien. That's coming up next. Is that just like my, me? I mean, but all these guys get hurt. I mean, did you like my hot teas though? This is you know. I did. I did. Okay. We don't have a commercial break to get to, but I appreciated. I know. This the, is this is this is bad bits. This is tops. bad bits corner. This is bad bits corner with Chris Manning. Brought to you by a, a sponsor, TBD. Would love a sponsor for some bad bits. Uh, Bacon bits, so, we could do. That'll work. I, I, oh, boy. That's that's not real. That's not something CJ McCollum would approve. People don't eat that anymore, I don't think. Uh, I'm sure... I'm, sound old there. I, I'm sure people do, and I'm sure those people have, like, digestive problems. Um, so, otherwise, in this game, I, you know, Atlanta-Boston, we'll talk about it. I don't have a ton to say there. Miami just, like, kind of feels... Like it feels like they probably need to change something. I think the same about Toronto, but we, we'll see if they will. 
Uh, Lakers Grizzlies we'll talk about. Uh, and the Lakers are kind of yeah, lucky to win that Minnesota game. Let's Minnesota Lakers though. But um, it's just like the Lakers are a little lucky to win that game because like I, like Ant had that block and that's one of the the most memorable plays. But like Ant was not good. Do you think it was the the shoulder from the fall that he took or something? I mean, we have no way of knowing, but it's weird because that's not his shooting arm. That's what was tripping me up about blaming it all on that is like, I'm sure he was dis- in, in discomfort and like feeling it, but I don't know. He was still playing like he normally plays, just no shots were going in. I don't know what to make of it. He said it was an off night was was the quote that I had that I that I saw from him. It just felt like they needed like he he has done everything for this team in a lot of ways. And he called his you know, I think he also called his game like miserable. Which like, yeah. Fair. Um I don't, you know, I haven't gone back and like watched a ton of it. Like, I don't know if there was clips, uh, like if there was defensive stuff that was really, you know, hampering, hampering him. I don't know if the shoulder thing was a deal. I don't know if it was just like, you know, you have enough nights and he and he's a young player playing in this environment, and maybe like that he just gets caught up in that. But he moment was a so bit. good last night, last year in this exact I know, situation. But it, and maybe because it's LeBron, maybe because like I I don't know. I'm just like I'm just like throwing darts at the board trying to figure out answers here, and I don't have the injury is like, the gr- easiest thing to pin it to. I think like that's kind of why I yeah. fall back on that because I'm like nothing else would make sense. Yeah, maybe it's it, and, and that would that would lead to some interesting questions about Friday. Yeah. About what, what did he's you think gonna look of- like. Gobert not playing. It's a little weird to me that he would play on Sunday when they didn't really need to win. They obviously needed to win to get the eighth seed, but they had already clinched a an appearance in the play-in. He plays that game, then he has the the suspension, and now he seems like he's maybe the injury just got worse. It's a back thing, you know. A, a seven footer with a back injury is, you know, I understand being careful, but they felt confident enough in it to play him in a game that was far less important. Now on their season is on the line Friday. He's not playing. That is uh, raising my eyebrows a little bit. I, I came away very impressed by much, by a lot of cat in this game though. That, that is like the thing that if I'm feeling optimistic about the wolves, it's that like cat looked awesome. And it's like, huh, maybe you play cat at the five and good things happen because you get this like really great shooter like at the five and then a locks a bunch of stuff. And it kind of fits what we understand Chris Finch's like kind of operating philosophy to be. So did you like the fouls by cat then? No, too, or? no, I, you're trying to be positive. Just, I'm bringing you down, but I mean, it's just, the, it, the, it's like the offensive stuff pops so much and I'm not the biggest cat guy. Mm-hmm. Like it is just the offensive stuff is just like, dang. And it's like, he was one of the only guys that really showed up for them. Um, like you got some vintage of my Conley yeah. defensive plays, but it's like he and was shooting. like, like I, and shooting. But it's like we're like in a night where Ant wasn't good. I know the fouls are bad, but it's like the the cat offense was just like for for large chunks of this game, just like exactly kind of what they needed to make this competitive. Um, and like I, yeah, they the probably f- should not. They sh- shouldn't feel good about how they lose that game. It's just kind of where I kind of come down. Though is the thing. Yeah, the fouls. I don't uh, honestly like. I, some of them are boneheaded. It's frustrating when he fouls and it doesn't actually impact the end result of the play. Like he just kind of gives up these lazy ones, and that's the real killer. But I mean, he still played forty-one minutes. It's just you look at that last play where he gets isolated at the top of the key against Reeves, and he just takes this lazy, quick, early clock jumper. Maybe it wasn't early clock, but right when he catches the ball, 
And then he says after the game that he he expected that the Lakers might flop in if he drove to the basket. And it's like, I just don't think you can afford to be worried about that and putting yourself in position to have to and all that stuff. It is a bummer. I, I think he played much better in this game than he did in a lot of the playoff game la- games last year, even when Gobert wasn't there and he was, you know, optimized better. He he still played better tonight than I think he did in a lot of those. I hope he can put these these issues behind him. I think they can win that game on Friday, even if Gobert doesn't play again. You assume Ant has to be better than he was, but um, yeah. I mean, I have a couple thoughts on the East here. Do you want to run through those real quick? Yeah, do you, do you want to sort of hip flop over to the East? Okay, um, start with the East. So where do, what do you want to go? Do you want to go order? I mean, like I, I oh, I meant uh, I meant the play in games real quick. Um, oh, okay, hit me. Oh, I was, yeah, I, was I just thinking, think a, oh, a, a shout out to Quinn Snyder and the <laughs> coaching staff. I mean, the game plan that they drew up defensively against Bam in particular uh, for Miami and just kind of being, let's say, finally, once and for all, the heat shooters are not to be trusted and we're going to treat them that way. And this is kind of what the play in is, is you can draw up a scheme that overemphasizes one thing and forces an offense to adjust. And if there's not a great adjustment, uh, Kyle Lowry was gave it his all but other than that there wasn't a lot to be done because the the personnel just wasn't there then you're going to give yourself a great chance to win and also i just think it's it's obvious beyond obvious but the hawks are just a completely different team when clint capella is at his best like he has not been that since they made the conference finals and then sure enough he plays a very very solid defensive and rebounding game and they beat a team that they were not favored to beat. Like it sometimes is that simple. They had their full kind of arsenal of talent and that clicked everything into place. Um, and then on the, 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 the bull side to me or more on the Toronto side, I just was very confused as Zach Levine is going off shooting all these off balance jumpers, getting by guys and finishing at the basket, all that stuff. They didn't feel like they had any better option than keeping Fred Van Vliet on him in the second half, who is fine as a defender, but is giving up like four inches to Levine. Um, that was confusing to me. And it, I don't know, you know, I don't want to read too much into the Raptors, but judging by their fans reaction, I think somebody, a recap on a Raptors blog I saw was just the season is over. Finally, and that kind of is how it felt <laughs> from the basketball as well. Yeah. Uh, I am. <sighs> I'm very intrigued to just see them adjust. I am very curious to see that kind of what they do. The other with the Hawks with Okongu and and Capella. Okongu's also awesome. And it's like if there's a way for that franchise to pivot into like get other kinds of better players that I think they probably need, like you would think Capella might be the thing you flip. And like just be like, okay, Anyaka's ready for more. Anyaka's ready to kind of be our guy. But it's also like Capella has been great for that team. And he might have been the MVP of that game for them in a lot of ways. So that's like I think like I saw you interesting... tweet a Capella destination, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, I was I was trolling about Gobert trades. That wasn't anything oh, serious. Oh, oh. Okay. Capella yeah, that, was somebody that... that when DeAndre Ayton was a free agent, I really thought long and hard about. I think he's a really underrated player. If he yeah. if you can be sure that he's going to be healthy. I think he gives you a lot of what you want in a modern center. And he's also always played like a role. Like he's not somebody who is one of these centers who always wants post touches or any of that. So, <laughs> he's not um, the one who's like, I need, I want to run pick and rolls, but I want them like not catching lobs that actually make me good. I want to like do stuff. And it's like that gets, but that's a problem. Yeah, exactly. All right. Want to do playoffs now? Yeah. Um, 
Do you want to just go on the record? Do you want to pick playing game winners real quick? I'm going to pick. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I I, I, I think I'm just going to. I'm going to pick the Bulls because I just think the Heat look pretty cooked. And I'm going to pick um, the Thunder just for vibes. I'm going to also pick the Thunder. And on the east side, it is pretty interesting matchup-wise. I have a hard time imagining that Jimmy plays below par twice. But I think Chicago feels better overall. I'll go Chicago. Why not? Why not? We just two ten seeds cutting it up in the in the playoffs. Let's go for it. Yeah, and then just get destroyed by Giannis. Yeah, that's the sucky part for the Bulls is like they 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 win twice to get there, and then it's like, hey, the Bucks are are here again. You ready to lose? You know, but so be it. All right, let's talk about the let's talk about the playoffs. Let's start in the Eastern Conference where. Where I think the series we have, there is one that is good and there are two that are kind of okay. Uh, let's start with Boston Atlanta. That's the 2 7. You know, we, I, I, sh- I, we're both going to pick Milwaukee to beat the other two. I don't think there's a ton to say there. I also, Brandon, don't have a really a ton to say about Boston Atlanta. I think the Celtics are probably winning this pretty easily. I think the, I think the difference in the series is the wings. It is just Tatum and Brown are going to be so much better than anything Atlanta can do. And Boston has the guards, the bigger guards to throw at Trey Young and, and Marcus Smart, who is, you know, maybe it's not been as good this year, but it's still good. He's still Marcus Smart. And they have Derek White and they have Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think Boston's going to cut through Atlanta pretty easily and get through that series in four or five. Yeah, so I did a thing that I'm watching. What What is going to matter the most to me for each series? And most of them are kind of in question form, but... We'll, we'll go through those as we go, if you have them as well. I have mm-hmm. just, will Boston take care of business here? I mean, that that's yeah. uh, pretty straightforward, but I think the boards are going to matter a lot in this series. The Celtics have been a top five defensive rebounding team since the All-Star break, and the Hawks have been a top five offensive rebounding team since the All-Star break. The Celtics also don't foul as a defense. They're very good uh, at just containing the ball and, helping and and not sending their opponent to the free throw line. The Hawks, obviously, especially Trey, would would really like to get to the free throw line on some junk drives to the basket and just transition stuff and broken plays and all of that. That's part of how Trey keeps their half-court offense going. But you're right about the wings. I mean, I think DeJounte Murray, or I'm sorry, uh, DeAndre Hunter is what I meant to say. It's just... he's a disappointing player to me because I just feel like we're waiting for that jump and everybody kind of likes him, believes in him, feels like he's this young three and D guy that, that should take a leap and it just hasn't come. So I, as much as I want it to be this series, I don't feel like we've seen enough to feel like it will be DeJounte Murray was guarding Jalen Brown in the last matchup that these teams played. That's not a recipe for success. Jalen Brown is significantly bigger than him and, already is overpowering for most opponents. So, yeah, I don't really think the Hawks have much of a path to winning, and I feel like as as long as Boston can kind of keep Trey in check, not to shoot too many threes, which we've talked about with the Celtics, and then control the boards or at least stay even there, I think the Celtics could even sweep in this series. But what's your pick? 
I have the same throw thing as you, but I'm taking the Celtics in four. Just we're gonna we're just, this is get out of here. Season I said throw, five because yeah. I do feel like the Hawks have a pathway to winning. You know, if they got hot from three or they got a big rebound and game out of Capella or Trey just went off, I could see them stealing three or four at home. But yeah, this is a team. This is a series where talent wise, Boston is you know a sweep type of candidate for sure. They were a big winner of the play in. I feel like they they probably did not want to deal with Miami again. No, I, I think like we should retire Atlanta, Miami, like games with like in the plane or the playoffs for like two years. Like we should be able to like opt out of that. Fair. It's like shuffle around a little bit. All right, let's go to let's go to Philly, Brooklyn. Brennan, my number one thing in this series that I want to I want to see is not, you know, you could go James Harden's held. You could go. How does him? How do the, the 70 the, the 76 ers kind of maximize Embiid? I'm just going. Let's see what Mikhail Bridges looks like in a playoff series as a lead option from the way we've seen him for the first time. He has just been like a, a revelation in Brooklyn. And like, I just feel like I know what Brooklyn kind of ha- is. I know what Philly kind of is. I kind of think I know where the series is going, but bridges with Brooklyn is averaging 26.1 a game shooting uh, 53.1% on twos shooting 37.6% on threes. Uh, he's, he's, getting to the line more than he ever has. He looks like just a, an offensive lead monster and like looks like a breakout guy And as he's at 26. Looks like a guy they can just keep building with and building with and building with. And this is going to be his first run through. Like he's been in the playoffs before, obviously made the finals, but this is going to be his first time like as the lead guy that defenses are game planning for. I just want to see him go through that. But that's kind of a hipster pick, I admit. that This feels like I'm pandering to you. You mean the person who's recording this podcast with Mikhail Bridges' jersey right behind him? Yes. Um, yeah. That that. No, I don't think that's a hipster pick at all. That's exactly what I have. I mean, maybe that oh doesn't prove anything. Look at us. It's, Look it's, at it's, us. Just two guys talking about Mikhail Bridges. That's the big question, right? I mean, anything else, the Sixers should win this series going away. There's really not, like, nobody's going to sit here and... Whatever questions you have about Philly, this is not the series where they should come into play in a major way, right? So it's all about what are the Nets going to be able to do to make this series interesting more so than Philly. They're not going to need to adjust. They shouldn't need to play their cards or really prove anything in this series. They have the talent. I think, you know, they should be able to win this pretty easily. If Bridges, my question, my, my sort of, thing that I'm watching thing that matters to me about this series is how much can Mikhail Bridges force adjustments to the Sixers defense with his pull-up jumper. So I got a little more specific on it than you. Cause I talked about this last week when we talked about our mm-hmm. one-on-one matchups and I had Bridges versus Embiid as kind of a, an under the radar one. Bridges has been the best pull-up shooter in the NBA since he got to Brooklyn. That's not just threes. And I'm not just saying that like my opinion, I mean, statistically, he's taken more than anybody. And of anybody in the top 10 in volume, he has the best field goal percentage on those twos and threes combined. But we also know Embiid, first of all, he kind of doesn't like to go full throttle defensively, period, in the first three quarters. But he also wants to be in that drop, right? So if Bridges can make enough of those pull-up jumpers to make Embiid come out to the level of the screen or get more creative with how they're defending the pick and roll that Bridges is running or DHOs or just whatever off-screen stuff that he's doing, then suddenly Embiid's having to give up more energy. Maybe he's getting more tired. The Sixers as a team are working a little harder. Harden's already not playing his best heading into the playoffs. And you start to put together the recipe for how the Nets could make it a little bit of a longer series. Um, I still have a hard time imagining that the Nets win this series, but 
Uh, it could be, you know, a surprise like six or seven if everything goes right for Bridges and for the the Nets overall. They have a size advantage. I think that's one very clear thing to me is their guards and wings are just bigger than the Sixers guards and wings. And so you could see Bridges having a good time with that. But also, you know, if if it's D'Anthony Melton coming out to contest on like a Joe Harris spot up three, Joe Harris is just seeing the the rim with no problem, you know? Like, I do think that'll be interesting to watch overall, but uh, yeah, I think we're both on the same page, as was everybody, that Philly should win this. Yeah, Harden's health is just, let's see what he looks like. That's just going to be a thing, I think, as long as Philly's around in the playoffs and, and kind of dictates their thing a little bit. What's your pick? I have Sixers in five. And okay, I think so this is I. one where they just need to prove it. They just need to come out, be the better team, win this win this series, and not have to have any of the crap we just talked about even matter, personally. Like, if they're going to have the type of run that, that Embiid is ready to have and that this team it has some pressure on it to have, they need to take care of business in this series. Yeah, I'm with you, Sixers in five. All right, let's go to Cavs-Knicks. This is the, the popcorn series of the first run in the East. We don't exactly know what's up with Julius Randle and, and his injury status. And Brennan, that's my question. I think this series is only really competitive if Julius Randle is going to play and be able to be healthy. Last we have heard from Tibbs, he is not going through contact yet. And if he's not right, I you know I know like they can play smaller. They have the shooting. They have the offensive rebounding stuff that can really push on some, some weakeners for Cleveland. But they really, I think, just need Julius Randle. They need what Randall is as an offensive creator. They need his shooting. They need, they, they just need the, what he's providing for them at the power forward spot. I think to, to kind of have the oomph to kind of compete with Cleveland. So for me, it's just like, does he play at all? And if he does play, what does he look like? And, and how does that just shape out what, what New York is? I think this series is closer if he plays and I don't know how close it will be. Um, if Randall doesn't play or doesn't look right. Yeah, I have, can the next change how they play? enough to make it close. Um, I have to make fun of your take there a little bit. You think it'll be more competitive if the second best player plays? <laughs> I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just wondering what you think happens because I think that's the more interesting question, right? It's like, how do the Knicks evolve considering they can't have the dude? Because they've had it for a they while. Are... I think that's an advantage. It's not like Paul George in the one of the Western Conference series where it's like they're kind of still figuring out what they are without Paul George. The Knicks... They've had some time to figure that out. And I just look at, to me, really quick, and then I'm curious because you've spent a lot more time thinking about this series than me, which is why I'm making fun of you, is I know you have more thoughts. Uh, (laughs) Mitchell Robinson, to me, needs to play more. Like, he needs to max out. Whatever the Knicks training staff feels like the most he can play, play him that much. Um, And then the Knicks were top 10 in three-point frequency and efficiency since the All-Star break. Can they tick that up, like, even more? Can they just say, we're letting it fly And then I feel like can quickly and Grimes take a higher usage than they've had, which is obvious. But I think those two guys in particular, if they can burn the Cavs defense with floaters, pull up jumpers, not, you know, those in between shots where they're not dealing with trying to finish against Mobley and Allen, then I think, you know, you're starting to get to something where the Knicks can keep this competitive and it's just going to take young guys stepping up a lot. I don't think this is an RJ Barrett series, which is why I did not say his name. But um, I do think there's some players who can step up and make this interesting. The the Robinson thing's a good shout. And I think their center play and their forward play in general is going to be key just because one of the weaknesses the Cavs have is they get absolutely shredded on the defensive glass when it is just mobile on the floor at the five. One of the big weaknesses, really the only weakness 
um, with Mobley at the five. I think the big one has proven a bit their defensive rebounding. None of those lineups are, are rebounding defensively correctly. They're just getting the crap kicked out of them by opposing teams. The Knicks are a team that offense rebounds pretty well. And if it's Robinson and they're gang rebounding and they're getting the second chances, that can make this game closer than it, than it maybe it should be. That That's a real point of concern for Cleveland. They also have to see, we'll see what Isaac Okoro looks like. Um, I also just like did not like the headline of the series is Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. That is like the, 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 the real like main course of this series. And we've talked about that and it's going to be talked about to death. And it's like, I, I felt like there's like a need to just look a little bit elsewhere. I, I'm really, I really, really do also just, I, I on the rebounding point. The Cavs play smaller. When like they just don't have a lot of size for a team with two seven footers, they just are not particularly big on the wing. And I wonder if at some point, like Danny Green, as a guy who like will like be competent in shooting and like being in the right spots, and maybe just cleans up some of this stuff by just like knowing where to be, or like Dean Wade or someone like pokes their head up above the ground and makes and kind of like helps figure this out with Evan Mobley on the fly. They they those lineups are should be great offensively. They are great offensively for the most part. The spacing is nice. Like everything fits. It's just that one aspect that leaves them very vulnerable, makes them feel not as good. And I, I just wonder if they can find a fix on the fly here, or at least one that gets them through to round two. Yeah. I, I hear you on all that. I feel like that's an area where Josh Hart and um, even RJ Barrett, I actually think could make, a pretty big impact on this series is, is rebounding for their position, you know, just pursuing the ball when there's misses and everything else. And it's, it is a clash of two very different teams. The Cavs are a bottom 10 defensive rebounding team overall this year. And the Knicks were the second best offensive rebounding team in the league. Now, Randall does a lot for you as an offensive rebounder, but if they can commit to that Hart obviously is not going to really be a, a step down. It's just, you know, different types of lineups. Um, I don't think people realize just how good Mitchell Robinson has been this season. He's, he's one of those guys similar to the players we were just talking about in new Orleans and all that, that are inconsistently available because they're so humongous and basketball is not fair to them, but he led the NBA in offensive rebounding rate by 2.3 percentage points. Like no one was close. And I think he's gotten a lot better reading the game as a pick and roll defender and just controlling the paint in that way. And it's just kind of been quiet and, and in the, uh, you know, in the shadows because he is just so inconsistent with when he plays and you might just watch the Knicks three times and never catch him even on the court, but he's healthy. Now he closed out the game this season. And if he can play, you know, 35 minutes per game, instead of like the 25 to 30 that they normally try to keep him at. I mean, you know, you could tell me he outplays Jared Allen in this series and that would not surprise me. So I think it could be close if the Knicks can adjust. Like we said, if they they're going to have to play differently, like they're going to they're going to make themselves a different team in order to win this series, and that's hard to do with so little time. And look, how much is put on Brunson's shoulders? Like, is it is it like is it just Brunson does everything, and, and where does that lead you? I think, I think that so. is, <laughs> I think it will part be. of it. Yeah, and like, does is that enough against a team that do does that has. That has Garland and Mitchell and like all these different mechanisms to like be just have like the talent is just there for them and like in particularly at the guard spots just like has all this stuff and it's like is quit is is Brunson is Brunson like in superhero mode 
is that enough? And I, I tend it's to great think, in no. the first round last year, but yeah, it, it, it's going to take a lot. I, I don't, let's just do our picks then. Cause it feels like we're, we're getting there. Well, you go first. I'm going Cavs in seven. Um, that's exactly what I had. That's insane. I felt like I was going to do that to kind of make you mad and, and troll a little bit because I think most people would feel like the Cavs should take care of business sooner than that. I think it's seven just because I think some of there's little weaknesses that I think are going to show up. I think there are, there are just things I need to see. And this is the first time a lot of these guys are going through this. Like Gar- this is Garland's first time. This is Mobley's first time. And I, I suspect they're going to be fine, but I think like there always is an adjustment. And I, I just think the Knicks are well coached. They're deep. They know what they are, even without Randall. I think this team will know what it is for the for the course of the series. I think the Cavs at times feel to me like there's someone still searching for little identity bits here and there. So I go Cavs in seven. I think like the talent for them is is high, is too high. I also think like Mitchell's just gonna be a fucking monster. I think the last thing to note there, I also, like I said, have Cavs in seven. I think they them finishing it out at home is gonna is part of why I didn't pick them in six. The Knicks were twenty four and seventeen on the road this season. The Cavs had a losing record on the road. They're the only yep. top six East, top six Eastern Conference team to have a losing record on the road this year, and that speaks to their their youth and obviously winning a playoff game on the road in MSG is even more difficult than like a random game against the Raptors in Toronto during the regular season, which they already struggled with. So. Um, yeah, I think it'll be closer than people think. And then if you do throw Randall in in like a game four, five, six, then it's just another wild card. But the Cavs should win. I hope they do. I think it'll be fun to watch them get tested in a round two more than the Knicks. But man, the Knicks are they're they're a tough dragon to slay. They really are. They, I, I mean, I I think the Cavs probably get like beat by the Bucks, but I I want to see it. But I want to see it. Yeah, exactly. I want to see Drew Holiday defending Donovan Mitchell. It's like really what I want to see. I want to see Evan Mobley defending Giannis is really brother. <laughs> to me, that's the, the main course Sign there, but me the fuck up for that. Okay, let's go to the Western Conference. So I want to just start, Brendan. Let's well we'll go in seating order because this these are much more juicy than the Eastern Conference. Yeah, the West is fun. <laughs> yeah. Memphis Lakers. Memphis is the two, Lakers as the seven. No Steven Adams, no Brennan Clark from Memphis. We'll see kind of what their big man rotation looks like. Will John Morant be distracted by counter suing a teenager? We will see. Dylan Brooks and LeBron, Shannon Sharp, Anthony Davis playing incredibly this year. I thought our show was called Just Basketball, but this series this is, is challenging us. <laughs> the, the, seri- the series is where like the pro wrestling element of pro sports like really seeps into all of this. Do you know how many times I've seen like a clip on Instagram of like LeBron like talking back to the Grizzlies being like not like just him getting it like I keep seeing this clip of LeBron being like annoyed with the Grizzlies this year for like the amount of crap they talk and him just like I'm not having it. Did you see the and flex like, answer he gave the athletic post game after the play yes. where he was like I haven't thought about the Grizzlies at all here's 10 minutes there's your column for you sir. Yeah. Yeah. Love LeBron King. Love him. This series is going to be a barn burner and I th- where I where I go is is what is Anthony Davis's impact in this series? Because I think this series is about Anthony Davis versus Jaron Jackson Jr. 
And I think it is how dominant can Anthony Davis be? Because if Anthony Davis is dominant and wins that matchup and like doesn't have issues with getting a shot blocked or getting in foul trouble or, or whatever, or gets injured, you know, fingers crossed. The Lakers are going to win this series if Anthony Davis shows up and, and does Anthony. Like, bet the, the version of Anthony Davis we've seen for a large chunk of this year, if that guy is here and it can do that against Triple J, I, I, the Lakers have to feel really great about this matchup. Yep, we have the same a similar thing again here, uh, but I think the <laughs> this is very much, uh, I guess, just who we are. I have a little bit more specific version that probably was too specific, but I I had what did the Grizzlies try to take away from Anthony Davis? Um, because obviously the like first take version of this is is AD going to stay healthy? Is, is he going to be reliable? Is he going to be, you know, falling on the ground and being a crybaby and all the nonsense that gets thrown his way. And then on the Grizzlies side, the obvious counter to that is Jaron Jackson's going to foul him at, foul him too much. And is, is JJJ the rightful DPOI after his, you know, six foul performance in game two, like we, we can forecast this all out. It's pretty obvious. Like you said, it's going to be very, delicious storylines which honestly kudos to the grizzlies uh being being the like sexy team to debate and like dissect uh and not always for the right reasons but look at them go so with what do they take away from anthony davis i think the obvious thing for me is like i don't think xavier tillman is the answer i think they're gonna have to get creative but i also think you don't want to let ad isolate on triple j too much Right. And so because of the fouls and because, I mean, if you can avoid it, you don't always want to have your best defender guarding the best offensive player like 48 minutes because that's exhausting and, and hard to, to deal with. So I think you have to get creative. Like, can you put Jaron on a non-shooter when the Lakers have one out there, Vanderbilt or Hachimura or somebody like that? And then maybe you bring a player like Aldama onto the court, Santi Aldama, their backup four, or even Zaire Williams, who got healthy toward the very end of the season. I don't think he can guard Davis, but maybe he can guard LeBron, and then maybe like Dylan Brooks guards Anthony Davis, and then you have Jaron as a helper for when Davis does drive in that face-up stuff that he loves or the pick-and-pop stuff. You have Jaron there to take away his space, try to block his shot, rotate, make him give the ball up at the basket. I think that's how much the Grizzlies are going to have to adjust here and that's not even to mention you know as you get later into the series assuming LeBron can kick it into high gear and you have to deal with that whole thing so that's my question is kind of what's the chess match defensively on Memphis's side to try to take Davis's scoring away because I, I agree if, if he if he averages 30 plus the Lakers it might not even be close frankly and look, I, I don't think they're going to have a great answer for LeBron over the course of this series. Like, I'm sorry, Dylan Brooks is like a good defender. That he's not slowing down LeBron. He's just not like that. That then that's going to be a thing they have to come up with. On the flip side, I think the Lakers will have problems at times with John Morant. Like, I like Austin Reeves. I don't know if he's staying in front of what of the speed of Morant. I don't know if like Dennis Schroeder's like <laughs> you know going to lock in on that, and that's going to create some problems. And like, does that get easy dunks for Triple J? Does that lead to open shots for Bain and some of their other shooting? Like, I think there's all these different weaknesses both teams could push on on the other. And it's also just going to be chippy at the same time. Grizzlies are favored in this series on BetMGM. What are the odds? They are minus 140 favorites. Pretty interesting. Hmm. But the most likely series outcome by implied 
likelihood with the odds is seven games. So the basically the market on BetMGM is saying Grizzlies in seven. I don't think that's crazy. I think on the on the Grizzlies side, to me, this has to be an amazing Jaw series. Like he has to yes. beat Davis on switches. He has to get the Lakers into foul trouble, especially their stars if he can. Their best players push the tempo at all times. The Lakers were a bottom five transition defense this season. They've been a little better since the trade deadline. I think Vanderbilt and other guys like that helped there. But um, if Jaw can be great, that'll give them, I mean, if Jaw has to be amazing offensively for them to have any shot. Let me put it that way. So um, I don't think it's crazy to think Memphis could win. Seven is probably how they would have to do it, winning a game seven at home against the Lakers. But it feels like we're both leaning Lakers also because we already talked about this, I think, on a previous episode. I'm, I'm, I'm going Lakers in six. I, do I feel good about it? No, but I'm going to go Lakers in six. I have Lakers in six, too. It's one of those weird series where the better team is the road team. So winning in six actually is winning at home. And so that's part of why I went that way. But yeah, I think I think they definitely can win this series. And there's a version of it where it's it's pretty bad for Memphis, I think. Yes. All right, let's go to Kings Warriors. Who boy. Who boy. Brandon, Brandon, my question is what can Andrew Wiggins provide? I don't th- I have the same like, question. Like here's but I don't know how you look at this series and it's not not Andrew Wiggins. I think because, a lot of people would have how do what do the Kings do to try to contain Steph? But to yeah, me, but this here's is the, an offshoot know, of that. Yeah. The the thing about defending Steph is is that you have to just like pray a bunch and then hope he has an off night. You don't have like a game plan to be like, ah yes, we've we have figured out if someone had knew how to defend Steph, they it would have been done already. Like like I, I you're you can play David Mitchell and feel great about it, or like you can throw doubles at him, trap him. Like box and one, whatever. It's not going to be enough. Like he's just going to get loose and cook you. Like that's just what is going to happen. And you're going to have to survive that. The Wiggins thing is just like, he is the the missing connective piece to this team as a shooter, as a wing defender, as unlocking smaller lineups, as an alternative to Jordan Poole in certain lineups. If Poole's not playing well and getting absolutely roasted defensively, which I think very well could happen in this series. This might not be a, a great, you know, this might be like a DiVincenzo over Poole and, and Gary Payton over Poole series, I think, for stretches. I, I don't think that's out of the question, just based on needing to have someone to chase around Deer and Fox. And Poole ain't that, brother. Wiggins is just the thing that's going to give you the shooting you need. He's going to give you the, the wing defense you need. They just are a better... They just, like, he was so important to their title win last year. And that was the best year of career. He was not as good this year, I think, before he stepped away. But we just have not seen him play basketball in a long time. Since February 13th. Okay, that's like two months, two full months, and he's coming back in hot against a really good team, and that they're on the road against. I know it's a shorter, like they can take a bus to Sacramento and not have to like fly, like it's a little different than like and whatnot. But this, this to me is like I, I think Wiggins has to be ready to go from the jump. I feel like the travel in Kings Warriors is already the heavy favorite to be the playoff storyline that gets the most attention that ends up mattering the least. Um, Like, because Draymond talked about it, I feel like it's just going to be so... Like, I already heard debates about, oh, will will the Kings actually be able to put a good good home crowd out there because Warriors fans will just travel and this and that. And it's like, hate to break it to everybody. I do not think that's going to be what decides the series, uh, like you just said. So... 
with that said, I, I agree with everything you said on uh, about Wiggins. Um, so the secondary part of that is the the Kings play small, and that sounds obvious, but it's also just like at almost every position outside of Keegan Murray, they're small. And so if if Wiggins is being guarded by you know Herder or Monk or even Harrison Barnes, I don't feel like that's ideal. Like I think Wiggins can punish all those players in different ways. And I also feel like clay. So he shot 41% against the Kings this season. Wasn't a just, you know, he didn't, he didn't have his way despite a very good season overall against Sacramento. And I actually just kind of think the way that clay plays offense, the Kings are pretty suited to containing it. Cause the weird thing about Sacramento is I do think they're kind of like the best bad defense ever. You know, if that makes sense, like they play hard, they rotate well, they don't have a bunch of like idiots running around out there, right? This isn't like young players just looking like they don't even know what they should be doing. It's mostly veterans. They execute what they're trying to do. It's just, they're smaller than everybody. They don't really have rim protection and that's it, right? And they play so fast that they're going to give up some easy looks that way and all that stuff. And I feel like Clay is somebody that, with all that said, they can kind of keep him in check. And so Wiggins has to be, especially when Steph is off the court to me, that consistent secondary scorer. The Kings bench is really good at scoring. And so I watched one of their games from November, but everybody was pretty much healthy. It was pretty close to what we're going to see. The Kings took like a 10-point lead in the second and third quarters when Curry was off the court. So if Wiggins can do that in some of their bench lineups where he'll be featured, I think that it takes them from being the likely winner to maybe just a dominant winner in this series. That said, the Warriors are minus two with Wiggins on and Curry off this year. So like you mentioned, it hasn't really gone well because Wiggins wasn't himself even when he was healthy this year. He just didn't play as well. So it's not a given that he'll be his best, but if he can be and he can do it, especially on the offensive end, I, again, I feel like the Warriors go from the team uh, on BetMGM. They are minus 275 and the most likely series outcome looks like it's six games to a team that, you know, you're maybe talking about, can they win it in five on the road or something? Because Wiggins is just that good. He might come off the bench, it seems like, which is interesting. Um, we'll, we'll see what that looks like. It's just so much intrigue about this series. So much. The Kings can win this series, right? Do you uh, agree with uh, me on that? Uh, Brendan, I think I'm picking the Kings. Oh, wow. I'm not picking the Kings. I, I, I'm going to pick the Kings in seven. Okay. I don't. Look, here's the thing. I think. Fo- I don't. Th- I do not think the Warriors are going to have a real answer for Fox. I do not think the Warriors are going to have a complete answer to kind of shut down Sabonis. I, I just. The Wiggins thing is just too much of an unknown for me. Kings are a plus two ten on uh, on BetMGM. The Kings' offense is just electric, and like I don't, you know, like their defense is is good, and the Warriors' defense is definitely better. And like you'd expect the Warriors to like know how to deal with some of this stuff and figure it out because they're the Warriors. But we'll see. I'm going Kings in seven. I'm riding the vibes. We're gonna light the fucking beam, and we're going we're going Kings in seven. I also selfishly, Brennan, just want a game seven in Sacramento. I want to see that. I want to be able to watch that. Yeah. Can you can you imagine game seven in Sacramento? Some Draymond chicanery happens. Steph and Fox are both going off. Just like the electricity in that building, and that'll be radiating off our television. 
Yeah, on Fox, one other little thing there is Gary Payton is now healthy, right? You mentioned DiVincenzo. Um, Gary Payton is yeah. somebody lurking there as well. You know, it's and and if there's any team that you're going to feel fine playing Payton against, it is the Kings because they're not really going to be able to overload or do some defensive shenanigans to take advantage of him not being a threat on that end. So I think he could be a, a difference maker in this series too. But I have the Warriors in six. I have what the market seemed to think is the most likely outcome here. Um, so like the Lakers winning at home in six games because they are the lower seed. Let's go to, let's go to Suns Clippers. This is the one you're going to be at in live and in color. I would What's be your... at all the road games too, or at least three and four, but uh, I don't know if you've heard staying in Los Angeles is stupid expensive. So I will not be doing that. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Um, Looking at this year's, what's your what's your thing you're looking for? What's 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 popping out to you? Yeah, how great can Kawhi Leonard be? Yeah, is 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 really it's pretty simple, but I think he just has to be incredible for this thing to have a chance. Um, I did a, a crossover locked on show with the Clippers host yesterday that went up on Thursday, and uh, he gave me his best pitch. He picked Clippers in seven and. It it's just it's really hard for me to see that, and I hope I'm not looking at it through rose-colored glasses or being uh, too much of a homer. I just it, it's going to take an un, an otherworldly Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers to beat the Suns. He is at a 27% usage rate, 27.1 points per game on 54% shooting since the All Star break. So he's been very good, and I believe that was on like 36 minutes per game. So he's been playing, and he played back-to-backs toward the end of the year, which shows me he, he's really feeling comfortable physically. But I feel like he, and to a lesser extent, Russell Westbrook, have to keep the Clippers close enough offensively through the course of the game. Maybe Norman Powell, you should throw that in there as well. Keep them close enough offensively for then Leonard's defense to be able to be an X-factor late in games, because they're not going to put Kawhi on Booker or Durant for 48 minutes, uh, at least not early in the series. So he has to be so good scoring the ball, slowing the pace down, all that stuff, so that there's a chance for him to dominate with his defense late, putting the clamps on guys, helping, creating turnovers, all the stuff that he does. It's going to take everything. Uh, I'm not, as we'll talk about with our picks, not convinced that it will happen, but that's what it'll take if they're going to win. Mine is the inverse of this. It's just do, do the Suns just come out and boat race. Do the Suns just come out and look like an, a really great version of themselves and just click and just everything click into place right away? This is my favorite right now to come out of the West. This is who I'm picking right now, I think, to come out of the West. Durant is look, they, they've been awesome, obviously, with Durant. Booker's, as you laid it out, I went back and looked at some of the numbers, looked at some of the film, like what an incredible year for Booker. Just didn't maybe play enough games to get full, full NBA stuff. I think, like, I, I just kind of trust Chris Paul to, to, be good enough you know i i think this whole i i think how they figure out the rest of the roster i think will be really interesting and just how that all kind of shakes out i think will be kind of one of the the little things to kind of monitor as we go here but especially with paul george out and the the horsepower of the clippers just not being the same without pg and just so much being on Kawhi's shoulders in a two-way sense too really right like Kawhi's going to have to defend. I mean, he's going to defend Durant and carry all his offensive load. Like, is he capable of that in a way that's going to shift the series? And does that leave the door open for the Suns to just 
boat race here and have a couple games where they just look unguardable and just ruin the Clippers in the first round here. That that to me feels pretty likely, if not pretty po- uh, at the very least, that feels possible as as a thing here. Yeah, the thing about the Suns is there's a version of this series where they don't even have to adjust, right? Like, for instance, I'm not sure that Devin Booker and Kevin Durant have one run one pick and roll yet. They just haven't even had to do it, and they won yeah. eight games. You know, like outside of the Dallas game, the first Sunday after Durant debuted, which was an ABC game, very fun game. That's the only time they've had to put the ball in Durant's hands on the perimeter and just let him go to work. That's the only time they had to do it, you know? And so they don't, they haven't really played Durant at center. They haven't really played like a switch everything defense. There's all these little things that, you know, people got excited about when Durant got to Phoenix that they just, they might not even have to do until the conference finals or I'm not to disrespect Denver. Maybe it happens then. I don't think Denver is quite the type of team to make them go that aggressive with those things. They're going to have to worry about other stuff with Jokic. It's just kind of crazy to think. Right. And I think that's what's here is if, if Kawhi, like you mentioned, Chris Paul, I think that's a great example. If Kawhi can get switches onto Paul and just go to work, Chris Paul might fall out of these games. He might get hurt. He might have to be benched. Like that's a version of this where the Suns do have to adjust, but there's a lot of versions where they don't. Um, and I think Russ is another player. If he can be awesome offensively, the Suns have to be a little bit more creative defensively because a Kogi, Josh Kogi, he's going to probably be their fifth starter. He's kind of the only guy who is a one-on-one stopper defensively. They're going to put him on Kawhi to start the series, I would think. But if Russ starts being really productive, then they might have to move a Kogi there. And then who's guarding Kawhi and he starts to have that domino effect. So uh, it should be interesting, but I think the Suns should be able to take care of business. And my thing with them has been you try to play and scheme up wins right off the bat and have your foot on the gas. So you don't even have to think about Paul George coming back, you know, win it in five, right. win it in four, if you can. And then just, you know, that, that question is moot. Cause I don't think he's coming back in the early part of the series. So we'll see, but I think we're on the same page there. It has the potential to be that for Phoenix. All right. What's your pick? Suns in five. I I'm there as well. Yeah, this is one I feel like for the Sixers series, that was an interesting one for me where I was like the Sixers, it might be six because the Sixers play with their food or just are leaky in some way, but it should be five if they want to dominate. I kind of feel the same way about this one where it's like it could be six or seven, but if the Suns are what we want them to be or think they can be or whatever, like it should be five. And look, you know, Kawhi is good enough to I think so highly of Kawhi and like I think the way he's looked should if this was if Paul George is healthy I think this would just be like an absolute like gangbuster of a series but he's not and I just with how highly I think of the Suns I just don't know if that's quite it's just quite enough it just doesn't it doesn't feel like even if like Russ plays well even if like they get good minutes out of their center like whatever it is if they find the right rotation which I know is like been an ongoing thing for them I just tend to think the Suns are just going to be overwhelming. You know, like they're going to, the Clippers are Icarus, you know, like they're just going to get, like if Durant just has games where like even Kawhi defends up perfectly, if he just drops a bunch of middies on Kawhi's head, would you be surprised that it, and that just goes away? And it's like, no, like that's just what is going to happen here. And then it sets the stage for 
an absolutely crackling round two. Yeah. What do you think about Denver? Um, If it's Oklahoma City or Minnesota, I feel like they should be able to make short work both. Yeah, but I think I would like to see them navigate the Shea thing just as like a like that would how they kind of would navigate that. It's obviously not the same as Booker. It's not the same as Durant, but navigating that kind of score it would be some somewhat similar to. But the way Shea kind of gets inside and pokes around and it has craft in that way, I think is a little bit more similar to the, the guys in Phoenix than it is Ant. So I would kind of just like to see them how they would defend Shea over the course of a seven game series. That to me is where I would go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that they should sweep the Wolves. I think Shea could win a game or two um, with Oklahoma City, but it's nice for Denver that it worked out that way, that it's not the Lakers or the Warriors or the Clippers or something like that, or like Zion came back and it's the Pelicans or whatever. Denver will be able to have a nice, easy first-round series, hopefully, and be ready for second round. All right, should we? right, let's wrap up. Let's, do you want to just hit another WNBA draft real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap this yep. one up, land the plane? Yep. So... The thing that matters here is that Aaliyah Boston went number one and the Indiana Fever have something they can actually build around if they do this correctly. Mm-hmm. This is all about Aaliyah Boston to me. Um, you know, they get Grace Bridge as well. She played at IU. That That's a cool story. She was, she idolizes Paul Pierce. Did you see that? They did, did a whole segment about how she wears number 34 for Paul Pierce. The weirdest little like detail slash trivia question, whatever that I've ever seen among two athletes. They don't play similarly. They don't, they're not from the same place. Like I don't understand it. Yeah, I look, maybe she just I don't I don't have anything funny to say about that. It's just like Paul George, what do we or excuse me, Paul Pierce. It's the like funny all thing the is that it exists. That's what's hilarious about yeah, it. Yeah, and it's not like Paul Pierce. I don't think of Paul Pierce as like an aesthetically like really pleasing player to watch, you know? Oh, I do. I, I I not if I'm like, like I, a five eight point guard like she is. That's sure. what's so weird. I I think like I have like fond memories of like Wizards Paul Pierce, but like my Celtics memories of Pierce are just like about Kevin Durant or excuse me Kevin Garnett more so mm-hmm. than like anything else. But like th- look, this is a franchise in the Fever that just like needed this. Mm-hmm. Like they 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 just needed like we'll see what Berger is. Um, you know, well, they have Kelsey Mitchell. Aaliyah Boston is like the face of everything here. Like nothing else to me is as interesting as, okay, just, is this what actually gets them on the path to, to something that isn't just like an utter joke? Yeah, I think she's the big story. It's a weird draft. Um, not to be a hater, but the WNBA draft is uh, too long and the, there are too few teams that it would not surprise me if a good portion of these players in what was a very weak <laughs> draft class don't play in the league. The, um, the expansion comments, year, by the way, but... the expansion comments, by the way, are just like hilarious. Every time I see them uh, from Kathy Engelbert, I just laugh a little bit. It's like uh, always it's, like a tea. It's too late in the it's... podcast for me to tee off on that. You got to no, look, you gotta me, give me no, I, it is like a, it's like every time she talks about it, it's like we're, we're going to visit other cities. We're going to have something soon. She's been saying this for it feels like five years. It hasn't been five years, but it feels like it's, it's been, been four years. She's been the commissioner for four years this year. So you're oh, not you're boy. not far off. Yeah, okay. but it, let's let's get into Boston a little bit in her game because yeah, 
I see her surviving in the W a little better than a lot of the similar types of players that are like her have. You know, Tierra McCowan was a big one. There's been lots over the years. And for me, Boston is good enough, has good enough touch and mobility offensively and decision-making around the basket and things like that, that I feel like she's going to be able to survive offensively a little better than some of those players because she can fit into different environments better, in my opinion. Defensive versatility is going to be a question. She played that drop. Minnesota, or South Carolina had just has so much size and intensity and physicality defensively that they didn't have to adjust much, but she probably can't just be a drop big forever unless she's, you know, generationally gifted, which maybe she very well is. Uh, but usually you're going to have to have some other uh, cards up your sleeve there to be able to, to survive on the best teams in basketball. So that's my kind of Boston thing. She also shot a three sophomore and junior year a little bit and then stopped this year, but it wasn't awful. Like I think it was around like 25, 30%. Kind of curious to see if some coach brings her in and asks her to work on that. And maybe it's not, you know, she's not taking eight a game, but like if, she, if that's a little bit of a threat, that's kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch her grow. The, the fever very much needed it. Um, do you have any Boston thoughts? Because I also have some South Carolina thoughts. Well, questions. I, I mean, I, I think you hit kind of everything there. I, I just think like this, this feels like someone in the same way. Like, I, I don't know if she'll be as good. As, I don't think she'll probably be as good as Asia Wilson. But this feels like the kind of thing. It's like you draft someone from a prestigious program to a franchise that is like a needing of, a, of an identity shaper. This feels like an attempt at that. And I'm, I think those things for franchises like matter. You need the best players that come from really good programs that are about the right stuff to come from this. Um, the South Carolina thing, I think it's just think about how like the players from that, are, like three players drafted in the top 10 from that program. I mean, there is no better program. There's no better coach. There's no better path to the W right now. If you're like a good player on South Carolina and like Boston's ahead of that. But I mean, you got Zach cook Toledo zone going to LA. Um, like you here going to at eight to Atlanta. Like there's some good stuff there. Yeah, that's part of what I'm curious about, right? Is UConn, when they were the dominant dynasty, which they very well could have stayed that way. They just have had some bad injury luck in recent seasons. But that was always where you would kind of look to see what was next in the W, right? Somebody like Maya Moore, somebody like uh, Brianna Stewart, even Paige Beckers, who's sort of this like point, point wing, interesting, you know, low usage, high impact type of player. And it doesn't feel like that's the case with South Carolina, just based on how they play, right? Like Asia Wilson, very much, she's where the W is going because she's awesome. But I don't really feel like, you know, stylistically, she's like progressive and pushing the boundaries of modern basketball or anything like that. Alicia Gray was on that team as well. I think she is a shooter, a kind of a big wing shooter that that could fit into there. But this year's group with Zaya Cook and Bria Beal and Aaliyah Boston, um, even Cordoso next year or the year after, I can't remember when she'll be eligible. That's not exactly what you're looking at. And South mm -hmm. Carolina, like I'm not taking anything away from their winning pedigree in college basketball, but it is a little interesting because there's a clash there. Um, like you're going to play one way at South Carolina and then odds are you're going to get to the WNBA and you're probably going to need to play a little bit differently. And that's just unique. That's not usually how it works. Usually, in most sports, college kind of feeds into the W or into the pros. And 
we'll see. Maybe that starts to happen in other programs and South Carolina wins, but doesn't necessarily do that. And again, I'm not saying any of that to knock them. It's just a different dynamic and it's going to be kind of fun to watch how it plays out. But like the past W champions have all been high ball movement teams, high three point rate teams, spread you out bigs who are versatile, whether that's Candace Parker or Atlanta Deladon or Brianna Stewart or Asia Wilson. That's been kind of the track record. I even would put Asia a little bit in the minority because she's a pretty typical kind of throwback type of player. She's sure, just, again, yeah. she's just so good. But the aces last year around her shot a lot and spread the floor well. And that's why they finally took the, got over the hill and won a championship. And then like people like Aaliyah Boston and Camila Cordoso and Bria Beal and, and all these, they're going to come in and it's like, hold on, where do you fit into that? You know, it's, it's funny to me. It's interesting. The other thing about this draft, Brendan, that I, I think is worth shouting is a move for the future. Um, gotta say, Mystics trading out of four to get a future pick. That's that's some light years for an office seat right there. Considering the drafts to come and what we're kind of expecting with some of those drafts and and particularly like depending on um and they got a future second as well. So like they I just like the value play of the Mystics, which just they just feel like a very stably run franchise, even if they're they're not, you know, I they have Landon Deladon, but like to think for the future a little bit, I I think it makes a ton of sense, particularly because of the player who has picked it for um Sora is gonna play this year. Yeah. Isn't gonna play this year. And like I understand that like this college stuff can be weird and the WNBA draft can sometimes like be this like thing that's a little different because like the tr- the the transition is so fast for them playing. Um yeah. I, but I just think the Mystics play on that Soros trade just makes a lot of sense to just look out for 2025. Yeah, which could be an awesome draft, right? We don't know how many of these players are going to take their fifth year. So some some of them are going to be next year. Some of them will be the following year. E- either way, both of the 24 and 25 W drafts should be awesome. And the Mystics already have Shakira Austin, who was a pretty good rookie last year for them. And she's a kind of center of the future. So it already wouldn't have made sense for them to take Suarez, who was most people's pick for them. But then you have these two bigs who are kind of similar and you're trying to fit them both in. So this way you clear that up and you get the pick and and you roll it ahead. Yeah, the Mystics are saving. Um, I'm blanking on their owner's name, but bad owner in the NBA, good owner in the WNBA. And that goes to show the value of uh, of Mike Tebow there because yeah. he is... Uh, that that's not the, the the mystics are like the class of the WNBA. The Wizards are the furthest thing from that. So thank God for Mike Tebow out there, I guess. Yes. Let's just I want to ask you one last thing uh about someone who maybe could be in twenty twenty four, maybe could be in twenty twenty five. Uh where should Haley Van Lith go? Whew, it seems you, like she's you gonna go take, to LSU. Yeah, can I just say that I think she should go to Iowa? <laughs> I don't know if that's uh in the cards, unfortunately. Not that they yeah. actually hate each other, but um They play together in team. I'm just saying, let's go, you know? It's funny that Van Lith is is moving. I guess it's just it's college sports these days, but um I don't know what situation will be better for her, I guess. You know, I like not behind the scenes, I have no idea, but basketball wise, she was kind of getting to do whatever she wanted at Louisville from a, you know, what's what's going to be the best for my career type of thing. I guess if you want to win a championship, maybe she's going to go to one of the handful of programs better with that. Maybe that's why she wants to go to LSU. But 
She's an interesting cookie. She seems to have all the confidence in the world. So I got, I doubt she's worried about any of the stuff I just said. She's like, yeah, wherever we go, I'll, I'll be fine. <laughs> there was a slam story about her when she was in high school that was like, clearly she's just like, the confidence is through the roof. And yeah. She, LSU is probably what makes sense. Like, I know she like almost went there and like got recruited by Mulkey Baylor as well. Um, I'm just like imagining like HVL and Caitlin Clark and Iowa has a need a point guard now. Mm -hmm. There you go. Just saying, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying, Brendan, seems like that could be fun, but it seems like she's going to go to LSU. Can't wait for the playoffs. Gotta say. Gotta say, to end, the, to end this on an NBA note, just to end this. Land the plane. All of these series, even the ones I think are not going to be competitive, I'm just, I'm ready. This is such a great time of the year. This is such a great opening weekend. Um, Somebody's going to win a game one that we're not expecting. That always happens. And we'll, we'll have a great time overreacting to it. Yeah, like Atlanta's going to like, win on like a, like in a weird way or something. We're just going to be like, oh, or Harden's going to have like a two of like 15 game. Yeah, that's more likely actually. Yeah, the Nets hardens. winning is that would be the biggest panic attack on on Monday would be if the Nets still game one. Yeah, uh, although like if if I hope it doesn't mean Spencer Dinwiddie drops forty and gets to like talk crap about Kyle Kuzma because we don't need to see this Kuzma like Dinwiddie feed anymore. Like I'm just I'm good. Yeah, we didn't talk about it at all. Look at us. We because guess possible. what? Don't need to. It's we don't need to, and that's pointless it, it was you know good tweet thread i guess all right let's end it there i'm chris manning that's brennan clean thanks going to jake stevens and dylan heiser for producing we'll be back after this first weekend of games to break it all down tell you where these series are at big plays big big performances all that great stuff subscribe on youtube subscribe to your podcast platform of choice and we'll talk to you all again after the weekend